morning church. Obviously, our backdrop is different this morning because today is Sunday, and though you listen online, we are meeting in the flesh back in our sanctuary that God has given us. And so uh, we're glad that you're tuned in in this format, and we're going to be prayerful, uh, even as we gather, that God would use this time together, that your heart would be enriched. Uh, and we sure, certainly hope that that's the case, and I hope that you're prayerful for, uh, for us as we gather in the flesh. And we long to see you, and I know that you're, you're missing out for a reason, and if you're immunocompromised, or if you have small children, or if you're uh, one of our elderly people, and we really long to see you, and we love you, and we hope to see you soon, but we also understand, and so we want you to be free of guilt and comforted in the name of Jesus that, that the time will come that you can be with us again. Uh, we're excited that we're able to worship this morning. I wanted to run a couple of announcements by you real quick. First of all, next Sunday, the 31st, we're going to be having our senior, graduating senior recognition. Uh, our seniors in high school that have been moving on to a new phase of life, we want to recognize them. And so we'll be doing that in our church building uh, on Sunday, the 31st. And so uh, be prayerful for those people, young people that are going to be moving and transitioning to a new season of life. Uh, most of us have been there before, and so we want to continue to be prayerful for them. Uh, and then also just a reminder that week to week what we do is really just kind of unpredictable and trying to keep in mind uh, to be emailing and posting online what we're planning to do in the near future. And so if we don't already have your email address, uh, please send that to me. You can text it to me or call me or uh, find us on Facebook and send that to us and make sure that we have that. And then finally, uh, just a reminder to continue to be faithful as, as the, the church, as a member of the church, be prayerful for one another, uh, love one another from afar. And continue to be faithful in giving. Whether you mail in a check to our, our address, you'll see it at the, at the foot of your screen. Uh, or if you're doing our online giving option, which we'll put in the description uh, this morning. Please continue to be faithful as many of you have been. Uh, and so as we transition now to worship together, and we'll examine uh, the book of Colossians as we have for the past few weeks. Let's go to the Lord and thank Him for a morning that we get to worship. And ask that this time would be beneficial for us and glorifying to Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship this morning, and we pray that this would be a joyful noise in your ears. Lord, we thank you for Christ, who gives us new life, and who at the cross of Christ purchased us and made us new. I pray that this morning it would be enriching to our souls as we study your word. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and open to the book of Colossians. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 2 this morning, verses 1 through 5. Colossians 2, 1 through 5. 
One of the words that we're going to see in our passage this morning, and one that we're really going to hone in on as we kind of look through it and look at the verses, is the word treasure. When I think about the word treasure, or when you think about the word treasure, you may think of, I don't know, pirates or something, but what I think about is an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. And yep, that's where we're going, okay? I used to think that this episode was hilarious, and if I was real honest with you, I still, as an adult, think that this episode of SpongeBob is hilarious. I'll give you a little bit of background information, and you'll see kind of where I'm going with this, okay? SpongeBob is a sponge, and I'm not going to go into the details there. It just makes sense because it's a cartoon. But his best friend is Patrick, and he's very unintelligent, and he's a starfish, and they're looking for buried treasure. And they're using, this is going to sound ridiculous, but that's the gist of the show, they're using a compass and a map that they found in a pirate board game. And that's what the episode is about. They're looking for this buried treasure, and they're looking for X marks the spot. Well, Patrick is using this compass that they got out of this board game, and SpongeBob is sort of navigating and telling him which direction that they're headed. And he said that they needed to go however 100 many paces to the east. And Patrick, you know, he follows them along, and they start walking as Patrick leads the way, and then they go so far, and SpongeBob says, oh, we should be finding the X by now. It's taking so long. 500 paces or however many to the east. And then Patrick says, oh, east? I thought you said least. Yeah, I'm just going to assume that you think that's funny too. The reason I say that is that implicit at times in the discussion of treasure is that it is to be searched for or sought out or to be discovered. When the Apostle Paul is ministering to people in the, the Roman Empire, citizens of Rome, he's seeking it and kind of talking to people whose treasures were in things like the hidden meanings and the secret knowledge of life and of existence. Knowing his audience, Paul then refers to the gospel as a mystery, but also he says that knowing Christ is to possess a treasure that God has revealed to his people. Paul reveals it to his readers for the purpose that those who read this letter would make Christ their treasure. And so along those lines, talking about seeking out and discovering the treasure that God has exposed to us being Christ, I want that to be our same goal today as well. To make Christ our treasure. So let's look at Colossians 2 verses 1 through 5. Colossians 2, 1 through 5 says this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Last week we left off at the end of chapter 1, and we saw that Paul uses this word minister, or your translation may have translated the word servant, and really that term can kind of go both ways, but a minister or a servant, as Paul describes it, is someone, a servant, who is serving something specific, and that is serving the gospel to people. That's what a minister of the gospel is, and that's who Paul is. He is a person who has been called by God to serve the gospel to people. In other words... You don't have to be a minister by profession or occupation to be a minister by function. You are called to be a minister as a called believer. And Paul is intent on communicating that the life of a faithful minister or servant of the gospel 
is one of struggle, but also it's one of spirit-given empowerment, which is where we left off at the end of last week, that God supplies in you what he requires of you. And so alongside presenting believers, again as we saw in verse 28 last week, presenting believers as mature in Christ, Paul also has a brotherly affection for these believers, these brothers and sisters that he's never met, and a goal in his ministry to them from afar as well. And that's getting back to that word treasure. You may have already seen it, but I'm going to reiterate what the title of today's sermon is, and that is Treasure Today and Forever. Treasure Today and Forever. We're going to see what that means in two ways this morning if you're taking notes. The first is that Christ is our source of encouragement and unity. Christ is our source of encouragement and unity. There's a word that sort of bridges the content at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And that word is the word that we see, again, right there at the end in verse 29, chapter 1. He says, for this I toil, here's the word, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Struggle, or it may say contend, or strive. I point that out because Paul characterizes his ministry as involving hard work, often in difficult circumstances against dedicated opponents, but it's worth it. It's hard. It's a struggle, but it is worth it to him because he loves the church and the people that make up the church. Let's look at verse 1. He says, for I want you to know, you know right on the, the, the heels of him talking about the struggle, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Colossae is about 9 to 11 miles from another body of believers that he mentions in this first verse. That's the city of Laodicea. We also read about Laodicea in the book of Revelation. These guys were not far from the believers in Colossae. Like Colossae, Paul had never seen those believers and seemingly other churches, as he says that there's other groups of people that he's never seen face to face. However, it did not diminish his love for them, which is the motivation behind this passage. What Paul is essentially saying is, I work hard. I even struggle in ministry, but I want you to know that I do it for a reason. Look at verse 2. Here's the reason. That their hearts, that your hearts, may be encouraged. Being knit together in love. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. And the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. We'll pause there for just a moment. In short, Paul is willing to work hard and even write to them from a Roman prison for a reason. And that's because he wants Colossian believers to be filled in a couple of ways. And we read about them just now in verse 2. The first way is filled with encouragement in their hearts. Encouragement in their hearts. When he uses that phrase to have your hearts encouraged, I'm emphasizing that word heart because it's not just your feelings. What he's saying there is that this is a way of referring to an encouragement that touches the very deepest part of your being, of their being, and that affects all aspects of their life. It affects how they think, how they breathe, how they live, and certainly how they feel. He wants to have their whole selves be encouraged. That's part of his goal in loving these people and writing to them. The second word that he mentions is that he wants to knit them together. He wants there to be unity with one another in love. 
Secondly, is unity with one another in love. So what is the substance that achieves these two goals in Paul's writing? What is the substance that fills them with encouragement in their deepest selves that also knits them together with one another in love? Well, simply put, the thing that does that is what he says right after that in verse 2. He says, a rich and full grasp and understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, we walked through the book of John not too long ago, and we saw that Christ wasn't Jesus' last name. It wasn't just some title that he had. It was a title with a lot of meaning behind it. The word Christ is the same word, essentially, for Messiah. And if someone was known as the Christ or the Messiah, if they called themselves that in ancient times, there were things, meanings that came with that term that meant something to these people. This is what it meant that Paul then says to these people that the mystery that God has for us is Christ. It means that he, Jesus, is the chosen deliverer from sin, the one that will rescue God's people. The prophet, the priest, and the king long promised that God has had as a mystery, but now has been revealed. The prophet being the mouthpiece of God made flesh. The priest being the intercessor that stands between a sinful man and a holy God and can bring them together. A king who is worthy of our adoration, our worship, and our allegiance. So how does the gospel encourage hearts of believers and unite believers. It's very simple. How is there encouragement and unity in the gospel? Well, the encouragement is found in Christ. The gospel is good news, by the way. It's good news because you and I, as dead in our trespasses, sinners who mess up each and every day, by God's grace and by the intervention of a Savior named Jesus, can cross over and walk from death to life because he walked from death to life. Jesus paid the penalty on the cross, and he vacated the tomb that we may have life. In short, why is the gospel encouraging? Because there is no lasting joy in life if Jesus is still in the grave. There is none, but he's not. He is alive. There's encouragement found in Christ in the gospel, but there's also unity found in Christ. What I mean by that is what Paul means here, that love binds God's people together because we have been bound to God by his redemption and by his restoration. In other words, the gospel is a story of two parties that are damaged being brought together in love. Then that's exactly what God has called us to. It's a reconciling relational work that he has done. I mean, you observe and look around you at the church, and oftentimes, and so sadly so, some of the worst backbiting and bitterness that I've seen and probably that you've seen in people is sadly believer-on-believer believer crime. It's the conflict between believers. But what Paul is saying is that our social motivators ought to be that we are built up in encouragement in Christ and that we are unified with one another in Christ. It means that we are to build up other people, those around us, to encourage others around us, to do what he says here, encourage hearts, touch the deepest part of who someone is, and lift them up. It means also to bind others to Christ. If we are bound together because of the gospel, you know that our mission is then to take that word of reconciliation, that ministry, and show others that they too can be bound together in Christ. It means pointing people to Jesus. Not just pointing them to religion, by the way. Not telling people that they need to clean up their act, but showing them the one that can. The one that can restore dead souls. 
It means that we need to be bound to others in Christ. What that looks like is maybe giving someone that has harmed you or done you wrong the benefit of the doubt, or showing them grace, or showing them forgiveness, or just assuming the best and not the worst in someone. It means that we need to be reconciled to one another no matter what. And the reason that I can say that with confidence is that there is no conflict or difference between two believers that has caused a greater divide than the divide that Jesus overcame on Calvary. That's just the reality of it. There is no conflict that you will ever have with another person in this life that is greater than the conflict that you have with the Holy God that Jesus came and ransomed and restored. Be reconciled to others because you have been reconciled to God. Paul uses this phrase in verse 2. He says that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, in order that to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. Reach the riches. I wanted to talk about that phrase because it really segues into the verse that comes next. That wealth is found in possessing Jesus as your treasure. And so as we talk about the title today, Jesus being our treasure today and forever, the second way that we see that is in this way, that Christ is our strength and our shield. That Christ is our strength and our shield. When I was in grade school, every once in a while we would watch one of those schoolhouse rock things, and I don't know if you guys know what that is, but schoolhouse rock had a little tagline where this guy said, it's great to learn, and then the kids say, because knowledge is power. This is something that is not new, that knowledge and power kind of being together is knowing is this, this great thing to have about you. It's something that the Colossian believers would have believed as well, that there was certain power in knowing. Paul must have been a fan then of Schoolhouse Rock because Paul now turns to the great need of the Colossian church, and that is being on guard and being equipped with the true knowledge to withstand the false teachings of knowledge that surround them. Look at verse 3. He says, which is Christ, the God mystery, which is Christ, look at this verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this is not something that's Christian specific. In the Gentile world and in the Roman world, wisdom and knowledge were in fact treasures to Roman philosophers. The people in our culture who have the most followers on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever the social media site you want to talk about, the people that have the most followers in our world would be people like musicians or athletes or actors and so forth and so on. But if the Colossians had social media and they did have followers just in a different light, those with the most followers and acclaim would be philosophers. Those who spoke about the, the deeper meanings of life and where hidden wisdom and knowledge of life was to be found. And so Paul, knowing that information about this world, he has a response to that. It's very simple. It's what we just read. That Christ, in him, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want you to notice the word there. All. All of it. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now we talked about this a few weeks ago, but that word wisdom is it's hard to define. But I'm going to define it as Paul would define it. That's simply this. That wisdom refers to knowledge in practice. Now I've mentioned that before, but I think it's a good definition to understand. That wisdom refers to knowledge in practice. Understandably, in this passage, then it would mean that not wisdom is the ability to understand reality from God's perspective 
and to act on that understanding of reality from God's perspective. Knowing life, knowing the existence as God would define it, and then living in accordance with how God would define reality. What Paul is saying here is that anyone who comes to know Christ by faith can draw from his storage all the wisdom and knowledge provided in Christ to believers. There's something going on that I want you to see in verses 3 and 4. It's sort of a, a positive and negative statement. In verse 3, it's very positive. He's, he's slapping on a label that he wants people to understand. So in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's positive. This is where it is. But then he says where it isn't. Positively, you find treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. But verse 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. That no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul speaks of Christ as the source of life and meaning in order to speak against the threat of false teachings as the source of life and meaning. To bring this home to us, you may not be surrounded by people worshiping Zeus and Aphrodite, or more specifically for Colossians, people plausibly persuading you about the elemental spirits of the world, but you are certainly daily bombarded by subtle threats in our society that seek to derail you from seeking Christ as the ultimate source of life and meaning. One that stands out in particular that I want to talk about this morning is the false teaching of our day, and that is worship of self. Just turn on the television, and you are bombarded with advertisements that want to fill your pleasure-seeking. Drink this, do this, go on vacation here, watch this program, it's the funniest around. Buy this subscription, you'll love it. You, you need it. This fills your needs. It's all about self, and this whole world, this whole society, is geared toward worshiping your needs. And it's a false teaching that real subtly just slides under your radar. And sometimes it can even be packaged as a form of Christianity. And many frequent churchgoers, perhaps even you yourself, have bought into this in the, in the context and the framework of it being some sort of Christianity prepackaged. What I mean by that is that God exists as your errand boy, or as your waiter, the omnipotent call when you need him, being that leaves you alone, demands not only from you what is convenient, and exists to serve your needs and your wants. This is the God that is presented to you, often, especially online. Listen. God did not give his son Jesus and deliver you from an eternity in hell so that you could pursue the American dream, pile up your driveway and home full of perishing treasures, and give God your leftovers and what was convenient for you. It's just not what he did. He saved you from you so that Christ would be your treasure. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus is alive, because he wants himself to be your ultimate treasure in this life and in the next. And so consider, in chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 3, that Paul has been giving us this high acknowledgement of who Jesus is. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. In him all things hold together. 
He reconciled to, the, to himself all things. This high Christology of who Jesus is. But it has a practical purpose. And that practical purpose is what he mentions in verse 5. Firmness and devotion to Christ that's not swayed by plausible arguments, as he mentions. Look at verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. Listen, rejoicing to see your, two things here, your good order, and number two, the firmness of your faith in Christ. Your good order and your firmness. I wouldn't expect you, know, you to see this in English because it's not very clear. But in the original language, these are two terms that are often used synonymously with military things. These are military terms. Sort of like a metaphor that Paul here is likened to a general who's inspecting his troops that will be the Colossian church or believers at large. And he's rejoicing to see that they're dis displaying two things that are military terms. A disciplined formation, good order. You guys are in, in, form in formation, you're prepared. And number two, you're firm, you're strong in your force. And he's saying these things that they will need to do these two things in order to fight off the false teachers. I'm encouraged, I'm rejoicing because you are in disciplined formation and you are in strong force. You are ready because the bombardment is coming. Well, then how do we apply that? I think that the way that we show that we are Disciplined in formation and strong in force, that we're in good order and that we are firm in our faith in Christ is simply that, that we are rooted in the gospel as your eternal life and your daily calling. You're rooted in the gospel as, yes, your eternal life, but just as importantly as your daily calling. In other words, I'll reiterate this from before, that there could be no joy in this life or in the next life if Jesus is still in the grave. We're rooted in the gospel. And so be encouraged daily that though this life may fall apart, and we're seeing evidences of that around us. I mean, there are many of you that are listening to this online now. And the reason why is because our world is in disarray and things are confusing and our circumstances are difficult. But understand, the next life is imperishable undefiled, kept waiting and reserved for you, as 1 Peter chapter 1 says, reserved for you in Christ. Yet this world may go into chaos, but our hope and our encouragement and our joy are rooted in the fact that Jesus is no longer in the grave. Not only are we rooted in the gospel as our eternal life and daily calling, that we're encouraged but also we are bound to brothers and sisters in unity of love, which I mentioned just a moment ago. And again, I'll reiterate this, that there is no conflict or difference between two believers that has caused a greater divide than the one that Jesus overcame on Calvary. And so my instruction and my edification to you is to be bound to one another in love. That last part is very important. In love. You're bound to one another. It means you rejoice with those who rejoice. You grieve with those who grieve. It means that you are celebrating the fact that God has united you both in the name of Jesus and that no one can break those relationships apart. I think the best summary and the best way that we can close this morning is to be reminded of something very, very uh, real and an anchor that we have to hold fast to. 
We talk a lot about that we anticipate eternity. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we say. And man, what a great thing to say, especially right now. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But in the midst of our saying that, I think that sometimes while we get so enamored that Christ will be our treasure in eternity, we shortchange him on being our treasure today. The treasure that you will worship for all of time with God in heaven. If you're in Christ, that treasure is not a treasure that you have to wait for. God didn't save you so that you could go and pursue the treasures of the American dream and stockpiling your treasures here on earth. He did it so that you could anticipate the treasure waiting for you in heaven. It's not the streets of gold, it's not the mansion, and it's not your loved ones. The treasure that you will never grow tired of worshiping is Christ himself. He will be your treasure in eternity. Let's make him your treasure today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being our treasure, our joy, our encouragement, our love, our binding with one another, and the fact that you have bound us to you in love. I pray, Lord, that we would take our faith seriously, and that Christianity is not about something that we just long for. It's something that we participate in right now. Lord, be our treasure today. Lord, I pray for those who are hearing this now that maybe have never come to a point in their life where they've asked you to be their prize and their treasure. That you would confront them with the reality that they desperately need a relationship with you. That they, like all of us, are a sinner. And that we have transgressed and sinned against a holy God. For in your rich grace and mercy, you stand at the helm asking, seeking, knocking, and pursuing people that they may find newness of life in you. Father, I pray that right now you would draw people near to yourself and that you would be our treasure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just a reminder that we'll have discussion questions on the screen here in just a moment uh, for you and for your family to discuss. I hope that those have been and continue to be rewarding. Um, we've been worshiping this morning in the church building, and we hope that you get to be with us soon. We don't really know what it looks like week to week, and we're going to kind of play that by ear. But uh, we love you, and we long to see you, and we hope that God shows you an amazing measure of his favor. God be with you. God bless, and we'll see you soon.